You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I want to start today with a little bit of cleanup, some of the stuff we didn't get to yesterday, um, so on and so forth. I do think the 16 practice squad players are set. I thought we were at 15, but on the list that I was using, um, kicker Ahmed Ramiz, I think, is not on this list, and he is, I believe, on the practice squad. So that would give us 16. So Ramiz, Etling, Gafford, Kobe Jones, Jack Heflin, Tyler Goodson, Chris Slayton, Sean Byer, the tight end that we picked up, Ladarius Hamilton, Keandre Thomas, Benji Franklin, uh, another guy that we picked up inexplicably. (laughs) Again, there's something they really like about the guy that they want to check out. So Patrick Taylor, Ray Wilborn, Travis Fulgham, Caleb Jones, Juwan Winfrey. Something else to consider about the um, Benji Franklin and Sean Byer things. You know, it it seems weird that, um, I guess it's hard for me to reconcile a couple things. Number one, that there are some really coveted spots with some players that put in a lot of work that earn those spots that aren't getting them. And then the idea that these guys who they don't know, have never looked at, get those spots. But not only that, could absolutely be out the door in like a day. How do you reconcile that? One thing I think is worth considering is that they wanted to leave some spots open so that they can have these areas to rotate or filter in and out guys from the team because they they need to be able to do that. Pick guys up, try them out, send them out the door, and hope that you can find a couple that you really like. If you fill it all the way up with guys that you know that you like, Basically, you're just kind of waiting for them to prove that, you know what, this really isn't going to work, and then let them go, and then you can find somebody else. It's just a thought. Um, Something else to, I guess, consider is that the Packers have a lot of players on PUP and IR, for example. For example, it's my understanding that Vernon Scott is still a Green Bay Packer. I know he was waived, but um, it's a very weird process in which he was injured waived, which puts him on waivers. And if he's unclaimed, he reverts back to the Green Bay Packers IR. He wasn't claimed, which means he's on the Green Bay Packers IR right now. Other guys that I believe are on, I, I know, for example, they just reached a injury settlement with Danny Davis, the wide receiver. So they did release him. They said, here's some money. Sorry. Best of luck. A few names that I believe are potentially on IR right now. Through this process that Vernon's got us on, Sean Davis, Innis Gaines, Nate Becker, Malik Taylor, Gabe Burkick, Akil Byers, Alize Mack, Ishmael Hyman, uh, Kylan Hill is on PUP, and then Osiris Mitchell. Now I'm thinking some of these guys are going to get those injury settlements and be let go, but just something to keep in the back of your mind because the continual roster shuffling, you know, let's say Vernon Scott gets healthy week eight. Who's to say he doesn't get added to the 53-man roster and somebody else gets bumped down and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think there's a ton of guys on this list that are, you know, big-time contributors outside of Vernon Scott. There is Sean Davis. Ennis Gaines is worth considering, and even Malik Taylor, depending on how things go with the wide receivers, as far as production, as far as injuries, et cetera, et cetera. I think that is a... um, a name to keep an eye on, assuming that they stay on this list. And obviously, again, Kylan Hill, it's almost assumed at this point that as soon as he's healthy, he is that number three running back. I don't know that to be the case, but that seems to be the assumed thing right now. So just wanted to throw that out there because I'm staring at it, and I realize that as we try to sort out what this roster is going to look like, that's another variable in all of this. But anyways, let's clean up on some of the items from yesterday that, again, I did not get to. First of all, looking at the pressers for Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, some of it we went over a little bit with Aaron Rodgers, but um, speaking about Mason Crosby, he says he's hopeful that he'll be back on time. The plan is for uh, Ramiz to go to the practice squad, which he did, I believe, make it on the practice squad. Uh, they said they did some unusual things this year, focusing on special teams more so in the past, 
And as Aaron Rodgers alluded to, having more guys that are pure special teamers, not, um, you know, linebacker slash special teamers. It's it's basically you're a special teamer with a linebacker designation, but we have no intention of ever letting you take a snap at linebacker. At least that's our hope. Speaking about Rudy Ford, again, um, I understand the hesitation for most of us, but this is Gutekun's perspective. He said he's one of the better gunners in the league. Speed and physicality. Shocked he was cut loose. Want him up to speed on special teams as well as defense because obviously he's got a new coordinator and everything else. But again, he has never spent more than two years on a team, which isn't a great sign. But um, he's got that experience. A lot of different things he's learned from a lot of different coordinators, which is not a bad thing. But again, also, you need to get up to speed with what we do on defense. Again, we hope you don't ever have to play defense, but probably a good idea since you're on the 53 as a safety that you learn how to be a safety in Green Bay. Um, again, the question posed to him about the Winfrey Rogers situation, he just kind of brushed it off, said there's a lot of conversation going on with Rogers. He's up to date more than he used to be. And, uh, he gives good against a lot of input as well. So didn't directly address it, but more or less was like, yeah, we talk all the time. Shut up, idiot. Um, asked about Samori Ture, you know, that was kind of obviously a contentious thing. Is he going to make it? Is Winfrey going to make it? Are neither of them going to like, how did you settle on Ture? He said, Samori really excelled second half, especially the last preseason game. It was a tough call. We want Winfrey back. Uh, Samori uh, ability in the slot and to get open and separate, something that they really liked. And, and I think it is worth noting that I didn't really take into account maybe enough is that Ture is not really in competition directly with Winfrey. He kind of was to make the 53, but they're different wide receivers. Samori Ture would be the third slot guy. Winfrey would be, what, the fifth? boundary guy, which is, I guess, basically the same thing, because he obviously used two boundary guys at a time. But he also brings somewhat of a different dynamic to the slot. Um, I think if you look at Randall Cobb, if you look at Amari, and if you look at Samori, I know I say his name slightly differently every time, but I'm just trying to cover a wide swath. It's kind of whatever whatever I'm feeling in the moment. But they are pretty different. I mean, I, th- I think Ture and Cobb are probably the most similar, but I don't think they're exactly the same, especially considering where they're at in their careers. You know, Cobb has lost a little bit of his um, athleticism that made him so spectacular as a young guy. Now he's more of an intelligent kind of a guy. Ture is the opposite end of that spectrum. He's more of maybe what Randall Cobb used to be, but also, again, not exactly. I mean, he's not a, a return guy. He's not somebody you'd probably want to put in the backfield. So even still, they're, they're three pretty different guys. And considering Cobb is probably on the way out pretty soon, and we don't really know what's going on with Amari, at, at the at best, you know, maybe he's going to be a good slot guy. But let, let's put it this way: it's not impossible that Samori Ture <laughs> is the best slot guy we have, just from a talent perspective. I'm talking about lining up in the slot. I'm not talking about putting him in the backfield. I'm not talking about end arounds and jet sweeps. I'm talking about you stand in the slot, you run a route, you get open, you catch the pass, and then you run after the catch. I know he's raw, and his understanding is probably behind the other two guys, which is a detriment, but let's just say it's a play that he fully understands, and all three of them are going to run this same play. If Ture ran the best route and got the most yards after the catch because he has the most speed of the three guys, would that surprise anybody? I would kind of doubt it. Again, there's more to it than that. There's the intelligence factor. Amari's going to be the biggest and the strongest of the group, so there's different variables there, but it's interestingly, it's interesting enough from the standpoint that it wouldn't be massively surprising if Ture ended up being our starting slot receiver by next year, which is true of the other rookies as well, considering we don't really know who's coming back and, and whatnot. Um, asked why he ended up keeping all of his picks, his draft picks. He said, mostly based on the investment they've done and the opinion they have on them. That was kind of the thing that I'd mentioned yesterday. We've put a massive amount of work into these guys, and so obviously we have a high opinion, opinion of them. I mean, we put in a lot of work on a lot of people. These are the guys we put in a massive amount of work and decided I absolutely want them on our team. So it would make sense that at this point in the process, we haven't really changed our mind. We put a lot of time into it and we came away with a very high opinion, right? So it does make sense. But he was even asked sort of a follow-up on that. You know, what, what, is it, what does it mean that you've done that? And he said, I guess it means that we got it right. In other words, yeah, we drafted him, but it's not really because we drafted him, which is a slight departure of what he said in that last quote I just said. But essentially saying, you still have to perform. And we picked the best guys that we felt to put on the 53. And just because it happens to be all draft picks, I guess would point to the fact that we drafted the right guys. Now, 
There's also guys like Sean Ryan that if he was an undrafted free agent based on his performance, I don't know that he would have made it, but whatever. Uh, interesting quote on Mr. Anagbar. He says he's trying to get them into a comfort zone. That's the first step is get them comfortable. He said most of them will struggle at first. Some of the guys, they'll come in, they'll kind of flash for a little bit, and then you'll see them sort of disappear. And he said that was sort of the case with him. He said they'll come in with that raw athleticism and kind of show a little bit of a flash. And then as the the um, the playbook starts to weigh on them a little bit, as we start to add to it and it gets a little bit more complicated, then they start to fall off a little bit. But then after they level off, they slowly start to come back up and with a more fuller understanding. And he said that's sort of where he's at right now. Uh, asked about Abernathy right before, I mean, it wasn't really at this time of the question known that Abernathy was not going to make the 53. He was on the 53. But anyways, he was asked about, you know, why did you end up keeping him on the 53? He wasn't here very long. You know, what did he show you to be able to do that? And he said, you know, he took advantage of his opportunities. He's sort of a a perfect example of a guy that does not have a very good shot at winning. And he come, comes in and just takes advantage of all of his opportunities, maybe not necessarily special teams, but just crushes it as a safety and sort of won the job. That is, until they signed Rudy Ford and decided to let Abernathy go. Um, which, again, is pretty wild that he wouldn't get a spot on the practice squad, at least yet. I mean, it, it really is just a surprising thing. It, it, it's one of those things I can't quite wrap my head around. He was good enough to make the 53. You cut him so that you can make room for Rudy Ford because you want his special team's ability. You think he's one of the best gunners in football. I get that. You have space on the, 50, uh, on the practice squad. As far as I can tell, he cleared waivers. He's still floating around out there. And then you fill those spots with a kicker, with Sean Beyer, a tight end, and by, with Benji Franklin, a cornerback. Again, maybe they're going to work him out for a little bit and... Um, in the next couple of days, release him and bring in Micah Abernathy. But you could still have done that. You could have had Benji Franklin and Micah Abernathy tried out Benji, and if it doesn't work, then you bring in Sean Byer. It just feels like Micah would have been, especially since he made the 53, he would have been a priority to bring back. I mean, look at all the other guys on the practice squad. They didn't make it. Rico Gafford, Kobe Jones, Chris Slayton, Jack Heflin, Ladarius Hamilton, Keandre Thomas. I don't want to say that it makes him more valuable because it depends on the position, but it's just, it's very weird to me, that whole situation. Almost makes you wonder if they weren't really as high on Micah Abernathy as they made it seem. They just needed a guy, you know? We, I mean, we were, we know that the safeties were decimated by injuries. There's not a lot of options left. In fact, if you look at the practice squad right now, how many safeties are on it? Zero. So who would have been the other option if not Micah Abernathy? It's possible that he was, they were highest on Micah Abernathy above everybody else, but we're not very high on him, period. So much that as soon as we could find a replacement, and we did, we took advantage of that replacement and then decided not to bring Micah back. I mean, that's really the only thing I can think of. It's a little bit crummy, though, that they said that they're going to cut him, they're going to try to bring him back on the practice squad, and then it, they made it pretty clear that they didn't really try. Because again, there's open space, but whatever. We'll see. Maybe he comes back. Um... Asked about Jonathan Ford, similar situation. Why Ford above Heflin and all these other guys? He just said he's excited about his upside, excited about developing him, um, and they're very excited about this extremely deep defensive line group overall. Again, I'm just I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, look, I don't know that we had a lot of stud defensive lines, uh, defensive linemen to pick from. And again, I think with I probably took the same unfair approach to Jonathan Ford as I did with uh, Caleb, uh, Caleb Jones. Yeah, Caleb Jones. I was staring at Kobe Jones when I said that, and I was like, am I saying this wrong? And that is, Jonathan Ford is, first of all, he's a seventh-round pick, so there's a low opinion from the get-go, which is unfair. But then you look at his stature, and you say, this guy is nothing more than a you-can't-move-him defensive tackle. Like his, his value is very low in the NFL these days, which relies on pass rush and speed and is seemingly getting further away from nose tackles, especially pure nose tackles. You know, the Gilbert Brown types. I'm not saying he's necessarily Gilbert Brown, but that's what I saw when I looked at him, and I just kind of chuckled and said, okay, that's that's nice, and maybe he's like a goal line guy or something, I don't know, but I don't really see a big role for him here. But at the same time, we did hear about Jonathan Ford making plays in training camp and whatnot. And let's be honest, Jack Heflin, although in my mind he made the most sense just based on experience, 
and probably made the most plays as far as uh, preseason. Not that he did a good job. He was one of the worst pass rushers of, of the group, which is pretty bad considering these are mostly big, giant nose tackles. But the point is there wasn't a massive amount of competition. And presumably with Jack Heflin, it's sort of a situation of we know what we have in Heflin. What do we have in, in Ford? Now, in my mind, keep none of them. Keep five and just, you know, whatever. But they see a lot more in Ford. And, and it probably is a little bit of bias on their side because, again, they put a massive amount of work in. They really like the guy. And so they're kind of looking through those rose-colored glasses when they're watching Jonathan Ford saying, yeah, this guy's got something. Let's see what we can do with him. He did also, via PFF, take a pretty big jump in week three which is not saying much because he had a 29 overall grade, a 26 overall grade, and then followed up with a 58. But again, considering how bad everybody else was, kind of just waiting on anybody to show anything, and I guess he kind of did. So at that point, I guess you would take it. But ended the preseason with a 28 overall grade, 27 run defense, two pressures on 40 attempts is 5%, which is not good. So, you know, again, they like his upside. I don't know what his upside could possibly be, but I guess we'll find out. Um, and then as far as the running backs, he did kind of mention Amari as as part of the reason why they kept two running backs. Um, I think Matt LaFleur has a different opinion of that <laughs> a little bit, at least in terms of how much that factors in. But uh, that was a small part of the equation, at least as far as if things get really bad, Amari's there. If we lose both guys, then technically he could line up as a running back. But the bottom line is, as I've already said, the biggest reason why is that they didn't have anybody worth keeping on special teams and so they didn't keep a third guy that was that was it um a few less notes with Matt LaFleur he did he was asked about special teams and kind of that question of okay obviously things didn't go well in the preseason how much weight do you put on that in terms of evaluating what you have in the regular season and he kind of acknowledged it is sort of hard to gauge that you know he talked about how intense the practices are and he's he's happy about that but that was pretty much it he said it's hard to gauge and I like our practices um asked about the seven wide receiver thing you know it's obviously a lot of wide receivers to keep what kind of goes into that and he said versatility is key with keeping seven wide receivers which is true of any position they'll try to feature different guys in different spots which is kind of what I was alluding to with Samori Ture you don't want to have four of the same guy that doesn't really make sense but if you can add a different dynamic and a different skill set that we can utilize or feature in different spots for different situations it kind of makes sense Again, talking about special teams, as I'd said several times now, one of the major differences that they had is that they're featuring certain people that are solely special teamers or, or making decisions that are solely special teams decisions. In other words, if we had factored in anything else, we probably wouldn't have made this decision. Um, talking about the two running back thing, he kind of emphasized more so than Gutekunst, the practice squad, giving them flexibility. Um, he was asked specifically about Amari and did that kind of impact your decision? And he kind of gave a confused look about that. Like, what are you talking about? And he said, I guess if we're in a bind, that would provide a little bit of flexibility, i.e. two injuries. He said, but the Amari backfield thing is more of a work in progress. In other words, it's not something that today we're saying, hey, we're set at running back if these two guys go down. It's kind of a, we've tried it a couple times. It's interesting. We have a lot of work to do to make that a, a, a thing. Um, another thing that wasn't necessarily explicitly said, but was sort of implicitly said, mentioned it on Packernet After Dark, sounds like Elton Jenkins is officially going to be playing tackle. So any speculation as to whether the best five included Elton on the inside seems to not be the case. Uh, the, the two things that kind of stood out in terms of solidifying that when talking about uh, Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari, uh, Brian Gutekunst had said are two tackles. So obviously he views them as their tackles. And then Aaron Rodgers talking about what the offensive line will look like. He said it obviously depends on um, David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins. But if they play, the only question mark is right guard. Well, if Elton Jenkins was going to be the right guard, it certainly wouldn't be a question. The question would be who's the right tackle. Um, I just see this. Bill Huber said this uh, just a little while ago. Sounds like we will be signing Micah Abernathy back. Bill Huber says it will be official today. I don't know what that means exactly. As far as I know, our practice squad and our 53 are full, so somebody must have been released. Maybe I just missed something. I don't know. Again, this whole thing is weird. I mean, anywhere you look, every, everybody's got a different thing. You look over here, they've only got 15 on the 53, but if you look at, I think it might have been Huber or one of them, I don't know, they're like, oh, 16's full, here's all 16, and I counted them. I'm like, yep, that's 16, I guess. So I, I don't know. 
I don't know. It seems it seems like everybody's like, oh yeah, we know what it is. But if you look individually, nobody agrees on what exactly <laughs> what exactly is going on. But anyways, we'll uh, go ahead and keep an eye on that for everybody. Um, another little nugget, just kind of random, but it's on my list. So here we go. Um, Jack Coco, being an undrafted free agent that made the fifty three, helps to um, keep the streak alive. The Packers have done this since 2005. At least one undrafted free agent makes the final 53-man roster. 2000, and, and some of these guys are legit players. Some are not, but that's true of draft picks as well. But it really is crazy what a great job. I, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that the Packers are willing, and because you're more willing, you're more likely to catch a undrafted free agent guy. I know back when Ted Thompson was here, one of the talking points, which I'm assuming still exists, is that the Packers do a good job of featuring undrafted free agents. Many of them make the 53-man roster. And because we have that reputation, when you're an undrafted free agent and the Packers call, that should be the top of your list. So when there's guys that are floating out there that are supremely talented and more likely to potentially make the team, the Packers probably get priority. Maybe not the number one, but for a lot of guys, it could be the number one or certainly a top five option. Just for that reason alone, let alone the whole, you know, Packers thing. But uh, 2005, Roy Manning and Chris White. 2006, Jason Hunter. Seven is uh, Daniel Muir. Craig Lumpkin, Evan Smith. Is that Evan Dietrich Smith? Or a different Evan Smith? It's an offensive lineman, I don't know. Um, if so, fantastic football player. And then in 2010, you get some serious names like Sam Shields phenomenal, phenomenal football player. Frank Zombo, not exactly a great linebacker, but certainly played for several years, along with Nick McDonald. 2011, Vic Soto, guy that I really liked. He was sort of, I believe, a preseason darling. Uh, Jamari Lattimore and M.D. Jennings, obviously kind of want to forget that one, but hey, at least he made the team and started. Uh, Don Barclay, great offensive lineman. Des Moses, Sean Richardson, the other duo in that, which maybe explains why that was the worst safety duo in football. It's two undrafted free agents, but whatever. Uh, Jared Boykin, quality wide receiver. Lane Taylor, phenomenal wide receiver for many years. Chris Banjo, solid safety. Andy Malumba played for many years. Uh, 2014, J. Ron Elliott and Mike Pinnell. Uh, uh, Mike Pinnell is a guy, and I've said this, I think, several times. I never understood why we got rid of him. I always liked the guy. He's still out there doing stuff. I think Banjo is too. I, I keep seeing these names once in a while. I'm like, are you serious? These guys are still out there? I don't know why some of these guys I think are older than they are. Like I see Lane Taylor. I'm like, that makes sense. Chris Banjo, same year. I'm like, Banjo? Isn't that dude like 40? Uh, 2015, Ladarius Gunter. Not anybody's favorite corner, but starting corner for quite a while. Um, we won't read all the names, but Kentrell Bryce in 2016. Joe Callahan in 2016. Um... I mean, Josh Vogel and whatnot. Lindsey Pipkins, 2017. Chris Odom in 2017. 2018 was Tim Boyle, Alex Light, Raven Green, and James Crawford. 2019, Darius Shepard. 2020, Chris Barnes. 2021, Jack Heflin. 2022, Jack Coco. Some really good players there. Re real solid contributors. But anyways, uh, a couple more things to rip through. Some more kind of big picture things. narrative -y things, you know. What are your thoughts on this or that? That kind of stuff. But anyways, uh, we'll take a break. Big, massive, giant shout-out to Mr. Kevin Williams. Thank you so much for uh, jumping in on the Patreons. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support Fertile Ground Ranch, you can find the links to that uh, pinned to the top of my Twitter, as well as the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. If you don't have any of those or don't feel like looking for it, you can always reach out to me in some kind of way, and I will get you hooked up with them. But we'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. couple little tidbits here. Um, Irv Smith, uh, tight end for the Minnesota Vikings, sounds like he will be playing week one. That was somewhat um, of a question. I've been kind of optimistic, I guess, from a Viking standpoint about Irv Smith and, and the potential that he may have that maybe he's flying under the radar a little bit. However, he missed the entire season last year, I believe, and came back to practice and was immediately injured again. I'm not saying... From an injury standpoint, it's kind of a problem, but more so a the last time this guy has actually played and contributed in any kind of a meaningful way was a long time ago. So it might take him a little bit more than one game to get his sea legs. Beyond that, I don't know how much of the game plan he's going to be for the team day one, having not been with the team, practicing with the team until the last couple days, I think. Here's, let me read what it says here. It says, um... Smith has been sidelined with a thumb issue since the start of August. He recently returned to catching footballs at the Vikings practice per Thomason, Thomason, whatever. Quote, it feels good. I'm getting back into the groove of things, Smith told reporters this week. I've been out a few weeks now, so just getting back into football conditioning. By the way, it is September 2nd. We are less than 10 days away from week one. And his quote is, I've been out a few weeks now. I'm getting back into football conditioning. Conditioning is what you do like prior to training camp, right? Or like the first few days of training camp, at least, to to make sure you're up to speed with the conditioning. Then there's a whole other phase of getting ready to play football. So, you know, I mean, he's played a couple years in the league. This is technically year four, but he's played two years. So maybe he can just pick up and, and take off right away. But... um I'd be a little skeptical that he's a major part of the game plan, especially with the Packers upgrading the linebackers and whatnot. It's it's not as much of a weakness, whereas maybe in the past you'd look at it and say, this is kind of something we want to exploit, so Irv, just kind of suck it up and let's make it happen. Just a thought, just throwing it out there. Um, Andre Dillard, fantastic offensive tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles, suffered a broken arm in Thursday's practice. It is a non-displaced fracture of his forearm which I would assume means it's a crack running through the bone, but it didn't separate or, you know, dislocate. Somehow there's an expectation for him to be be available the majority of the season. I don't know how that's possible, but there it is. But I bring that up because it's an NFC team. I don't know exactly what to expect of the Eagles, but there's a part of me that thinks that depending on, like with most teams, depending on a couple key factors, quarterback being one of them, they could be a threat this year. Um, they could also be garbage this year. I don't really know. Uh, that's, again, true of most teams. There's a lot of question marks for every team, and depending on how a few key pieces go, could make a big difference for each team, including the Packers. Uh, Blake Martinez was released from the Giants. Like I said, he kind of found new life when he went out there, but um, he's coming off a torn ACL. He's certainly getting much older. The Giants are perpetually in a state of trying to turn over and, and start a new leaf and new offensive and defensive coordinators and GMs. And, you know, it's easy to get kind of lost in the shuffle as an old guy that's all beat up and banged up. You know, it's nice if you can find your groove with a couple defensive coordinators, but at this point, it's going to be kind of tough for him. Uh, the Bears brought in another offensive lineman, Kelechi Assembly, which I'll say the exact same thing I've been saying. You can't tell me the offensive line is looking real good, and they, they have never found an offensive lineman that they haven't decided to bring in and work out, right? <laughs> I mean, it's every, and and they're all kind of big name guys, which I don't want to sound super snobbish about it or anything, but you know how we always talk about how the fans always want like the big name guys, but real GMs that know what they're doing don't exactly do that. They get sort of these unheralded people that come in and fill a certain role. Bill Belichick was a master of this for years. He'd go out and get some relatively obscure person fit him into this seemingly obscure role like running backs he'd always patch work his running backs and it would end up being this brilliant thing brian gutekunst has done a phenomenal job finding guys like razul douglas and uh etc etc you know the list i don't want to go through it all for the billionth time when you see a gm that's going out and getting every big name possible going out and getting Nikhil harry alex leatherwood riley reef i mean these are all the guys that i would want to go get because hey he was a first round pick 
Nikhil Harry was a first-round pick. Let's see if we got something. And Alex Leatherwood, I mean, he was considered a top 10 guy. Let's see what he can do. Uh, Osemele was a former All-Pro and Pro Bowl selection. Let's see if there's anything left in the tank. You know what I mean? These are all the big-name guys that um, the rest of the NFL has said they either don't have it, have never had it, will never have it, lost it, and are not getting it back. And they cast him aside, and the Bears are like, dude, we, pfft, you kidding me? Like Chad Ochocinco, you know how good that guy is? Totally would sign him. I don't know. Maybe the Bears GM is great. Maybe it's just a coincidence. But it, it's just one of those things where every time they sign someone, it's like, oh, dang, they got that guy. And then I remember, oh, yeah, the Raiders also had Alex Leatherwood on their team, the first-round pick. He was already on the roster, didn't have to trade anything, didn't have to do anything. He's just sitting there. And they made a conscious decision to not even give him an opportunity. Not even like, we're going to have you as a backup, but hang on to you because you might be good. It's, get away from me, you freak. You suck at this game. I don't care when you are drafted. You don't have it. You'll never have it. And we don't like you. Get away from me. And we got the Bears fans going, dang, this dude's so good. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, they brought in another offensive lineman to try to compete for these jobs that obviously are locked up by studs. We're just bringing them in because... We don't need them, and we do believe in our offensive line. And we're basically just bringing them in to laugh at them because they suck so much compared to our offensive line. Like, dude, hey, Osemele, come here. You're a Pro Bowl guard, right? You know who that is? That's Tevin Jenkins. See how good he is? See how much he's good and you suck? (laughs) Now get out. That's probably what they're doing. Same with uh, Alex Leatherwood, first-round pick. They got these fifth-round picks playing tackle. They're like, hey, Leatherwood, look what our fifth-round picks can do that you'll never do because you're pathetic and you smell bad. Now get out. That's probably what they're doing. Um, Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show. The first, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes is talking about COVID again, which, again, nothing really new there. He was angry that he had to go through that. And um, I think he just enjoys slam dunking in people's faces every chance that he gets. Um, so it's, unless you want to hear it again, uh, mostly skippable. But I will say the first interesting thing that he said did somewhat have to do with COVID. And that is that a um, couple things. Number one, getting a, being able to do cool things like going out to dinner again together. The second thing being the tables were put back in the locker room because apparently those were taken out because, again, this whole thing was stupid and we make up ridiculous things that don't mean anything like, hey, if we remove the tables, then we'll all be safe, even though we walk through the same doorways and still kind of sit next to each other. Oh, and by the way, we breathe in each other's faces for several hours a day. But we'll take the tables out and then we'll save the world. Anyways, that stupidity is officially gone and now the tables are back so guys can hang out. And rather than sitting alone with, you know, you by your locker and maybe a couple guys next to you. But as Aaron Rodgers said, mostly you're just sitting there on your phone when you're over there. Now guys are hanging out at the tables, playing cards, doing stuff, kind of. So so the team camaraderie is able to be built and rebuilt, which was much more difficult in the past with all the COVID regulations about you can't do this, can't do this, don't touch anyone, don't talk to anyone, don't look at anyone, we're all going to die. So that was good to hear little things that I guess I hadn't really thought about in terms of something that could be very detrimental to a team. Um, And now even some of the younger guys that have been with the team for a while, they haven't really been a part of like the actual locker room environment before. So that's kind of cool. Anyways, from there, they go on to talk about ayahuasca for however long, which again, I've heard it. It was interesting once. I I think I'm a little burned out on it. I mean, don't get me wrong. If he wants to what he should do, I know he shouldn't because I wouldn't read the book, but if he wanted to like detail each experience, that'd be a heck of a book, dude. I mean, forget Aaron Rodgers for a minute. People that do this regularly just write a book and each book is like a chapter. You know, it's just a few pages or whatever, I'm guessing. I don't know. But it just details like, okay, so I did it this one time. Here's the vision I had. And they can try to pretend that it means something if they want. I don't really care. But the point is, it'd be interesting to hear the stories or even just a YouTube channel. Just start up a YouTube channel where you just interview people that, that trip out on drugs and they just tell a story about like this one time I did it and here's what I saw. I'm not going to lie, I could contribute a couple. Not as crazy as what Aaron Rodgers has gone through, but you know, you got three or four semi-interesting things. I think it'd be a good YouTube channel, that's all I'm saying. What are we talking about? Oh yeah, then he talks about ayahuasca, blah, blah, blah. And I tell you what, Pat McAfee rambles more than I do. 
he'll say something like, all right, cool, here we go. So I'll just listen because he's like, all right, we're going to move on to this next thing. So I don't need to like fast forward, or at least I don't think I need to fast forward. And I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm listening. And then I start fast forwarding and fast forwarding. and fa- It's like, dude, he said 10 minutes ago, he's going to kick it over to questions to his, his guys, which is what I want to listen to. <laughs> and he's still going on and on and on. Um, so yeah, I think he, he might ramble more than I do. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's close. Anyways, finally get there to where we can start talking about things that people care about. Um, And the first question by Ty is to kind of clarify, because everybody was jumping down Aaron Rodgers' throat for not being positive. Need to be positive all the time. Don't say negative things like, hey, you need to step up your play. Not very nice. You know, we're worried about these guys and and their ability to sleep at night. And, you know, they're going to have tremors because Aaron Rodgers didn't say you're perfect in everything you do. Anyways, um, he goes on to say, you know, you got to step into more of a coaching role. You got to kind of take that kind of role, whatever. But here's what he went on to say about the guys in terms of them sort of getting better, but then also some additional comments. And I will say those those young guys have really have come along. Now, we got to get Samari, you know, a a little bit more focused, um, but he is very, very talented. I'm starting with him, our seventh round pick, Samari Toure. Um, and I thought he had a really nice camp and did some great things uh, and improved. His last game, I think he had like six catches for 80 yards and and kind of basically won his spot on, on the last game, and, and I give him a lot of credit. Um, but the other two guys I think can really make an uh, immediate impact for us, I'm talking about Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. Uh, it was good having uh, Christian back at practice. He missed a lot of practice. And during that time, what was going on? Romeo was getting a ton of love, right? He was getting mm-hmm. a lot of pub he was making plays in practice he was making plays in games um the thing i like about uh, Rome's that i saw right away was that he's a humble kid and with that humility comes a really good perspective that i haven't done yet and so i'm gonna make sure uh you know i'm improving every single day uh because it's one thing to do it in the preseason it's another thing to do it in the regular season and I really like his approach and his work ethic. And overall, he's just a great kid. He really is. And uh, excited to have him out there. Christian, you know, missed a lot of time with his knee injury. And then he gets on the field the first couple of days, and you're thinking, who is this nine right here? I mean, he is big. I, I might need to change Dave's, uh, you know, Dave Bakhtiari's nickname because this kid might be the, the new baby giraffe. I mean, he's... <laughs> He's maybe more like a deer because he's out there just prancing around and <laughs> flying around on the field. I mean, this dude's got incredible stride length. And and really, uh, for a man who's 6'5", like his speed is is legit. So it was nice having him. He's a different different type of receiver than we've had. That guy, a guy that big with that type of stride length and that speed. Um, so, again, we're going to temper expectations for sure. And I did say earlier in camp, you know, Romeo might be held to a different standard than that's a normal rookie. But... Um, but we, we still need to temper expectations of those guys and realize they are rookies, but I, I am impressed with, uh, with all three of those guys. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out, but we're going to need those guys to step up and play well when they get a chance. When it comes to holding those guys accountable, that's what we do. You know, they ask me a question about receivers. They have a day. I'm going to tell them they had a day. They have a week where they don't play good. You know, I'm going to talk about it, but we're also going to love each other up and hold each other accountable and pat each other on the ass when we're making good plays and, and, you know, get serious when we need to have a better performance. But um, I like the approach from those guys. Christian asked a lot of questions. So is Romeo, a lot of questions and, and their real, their goal is, is improvement and getting on the same page. And um, when you pair that with the veterans that we got, which i tell you what, you know, Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb have practiced as good as I've seen uh, receivers practice in the last few weeks. Haven't heard about it at all. Nope. Haven't heard about it at all. In a long time. So yeah. really those guys and obviously I love Alan and, and trust him a lot. So I like the group that we got. Uh, we get the big draft back and uh, big sexy Elton Jenkins. You know, we, we should be uh, should be in a good place offensively. So kind of long, but there's, there's a lot there. Um, number one, Samore is not on the same level as those other two guys. Um, saying that, you know, he's talented, but some focus issues. And so kind of looking back at all the comments about guys that are not where they need to be, not really, you know, 
well, we'll leave it at that, not where they need to be, kind of puts the emphasis a little bit on on Ture, in my opinion. I think my favorite part of this whole thing, though, is, and again, I, I think Rodgers kind of does just a theory, but I get the impression he kind of does that thing that I do, where if things are a little bit overhyped in one direction, he likes to maybe tone it down a little bit as far as his answers. If somebody's underhyped, he wants to sort of overhype it, you know? when he constantly highlights the two guys that nobody talks about, Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins, I tend to think that's for a reason. Um, You know, he made a comment about Romeo Dobbs being held to a higher standard, and then the commentary explodes, and he comes on here again, and he's like, well, let's, let's dial that back a little bit. Which, by the way, the other important thing about that is we take everything these guys say to be complete and total gospel, as if sometimes people don't say things into a microphone and then like, well, no... It's not exactly what I meant, or I wish I could take that back, or I didn't say that quite properly, or just you're spinning this out of control in a way that I didn't mean, or all of the above, right? I mean, these guys are asked questions on the spot, and they got to just come up with stuff to say, and they say it in a way that kind of makes sense in the moment. And, you know, again, we just, we, I think we put too much stock in it. And, and within a couple of days, he kind of tones that back. Like, you know, we, we got to tone it back a little bit. But anyways, my favorite part of this whole thing is this commentary on Christian Watson, for several reasons. And again, I don't want to do what I just said don't do, which is to read too much into stuff, but, you know, the way he laid it out in this commentary here was to say, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Romeo Dobbs and how good he is, and yeah, he made some plays, but I'll tell you what, this Christian Watson guy is the one that's turning heads. He's the one that, that when I'm out there playing, this is me kind of taking some liberties on what he said, but He's the one that's doing things out there, at least physically, that you say, holy cow. His height, his speed, all that stuff is really incredible and really noticeable. And he's, you can tell Aaron Rodgers is really excited about it. Now, there's still going to be the, the trust issues and trying to get all that stuff on board. But there's still an element of Aaron Rodgers where, yeah, he likes the guys he likes and trust is a big issue and all that stuff. But he also really wants certain things to be a reality, right? When he fights for these six foot nine tight ends to come on the team it's because he just wants that to be a thing he wants a speed guy he would love even more so a six five speed guy so there's no question although it's it's a matter of you know you at the end of the day you got to show up you got to know what you're doing you got to be on the same page as me and all that there's a part in the back of his head that's rooting for christian watson to be a thing just based on that that size physicality all that but my favorite favorite part about all this is when he flat out says we haven't had a guy like that I don't remember his exact quote, if it's if he said for a while or ever or whatever. But the point is, he didn't see that in MVS. MVS is supposed to be the same guy, right? 40 time, height, all that stuff. Height, weight, 40 time, very similar to MVS. But as we know, game speed and all that stuff is different. He's watching this guy run and saying something is different, which, by the way, makes sense. Why did MVS go so much later? You can't say, well, it's because he went to a small school. That doesn't work. They're the same guy, same speed, same height. It's not drop issues because Christian Watson has drop issues. It's not small school. Christian Watson went to a small school. Why was MVS a late round guy and Christian Watson was a first to second round prospect? I believe he was a first round prospect, or I shouldn't say that. They were willing to take him in the first round. Why? I think it has to do with the fact that everything we wanted MVS to be, everything we pretended MVS could be, Christian Watson is. Now, he still has to become a wide receiver, but in terms of actually having that game speed, that play speed at this size, Christian Watson has it. MVS did not. Not to say MVS wasn't fast, he was, but, you know, comparing 40 times, MVS maybe didn't quite have the the level of speed that you would expect for a guy that ran what he did. Christian Watson does. Again, I don't know how else to read that. Last year, MVS was on the team. Aaron Rodgers is watching Christian Watson going, we haven't had a guy like this ever or in a long time. It's kind of a big deal. So yeah, there, there's some, there's a lot of growth that needs to happen, especially for Watson, who hasn't hardly taken a snap. But for Rodgers to be that excited is crazy. The final note is there's a part of me that's, I don't want to say worried about Lazard, but I do wonder, you know, it, it, before this off-season program started or whatever, there's a lot of questions about who's going to be wide receiver one. Could it be Lazard? Could it be Watson? Could it be Watkins? Could it be maybe Dobbs or something? I don't know, but didn't really know who it was going to be. And then when everybody showed up to Green Bay, the coaches are back, the players are back, everyone's like, it's Lazard, you bunch of idiots. Obviously, everybody knows that. Why would you think anything other other than that? Aaron Rodgers highlighted his two favorite guys in this process in terms of having the best practice that we've had, you know, as far as any wide receivers he's worked with, having the best practices 
as Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb. And yeah, maybe part of that is just because they're not getting the love that they should. Lazard isn't getting any love right now. I mean, aside from obviously he's presumed to be the number one wide receiver, but who's hyping up Lazard right now? Nobody. And that would absolutely fall into that camp of if Aaron Rodgers really did like what Lazard was doing and really felt a high level of confidence and people were underestimating him, he would absolutely come out and say it. He didn't say anything. He has not mentioned Lazard, I, I don't think, in, in, in quite a long time, if, if at all, aside from being prompted by questioners in terms of having a great camp or anything. Um, obviously, he wasn't in the preseason, so he didn't have any opportunities to do anything. But even training camp, I mean, Lazard was crushing it early in training camp, but it seems like he fell by the wayside. You heard more about Romeo Dobbs. I've heard more about Sammy Watkins. I've heard more... I don't know necessarily about Randall Cobb, but again, here's Aaron Rodgers saying Randall Cobb looks fantastic out there. Samori Ture, um, I think I said Dobbs, I don't know. Everybody has had more hype than Alan Lazard after, let's say, the first week of training camp, because I just have not really heard the guy's name very much. So I guess I just wonder. I wonder as these games go by, and again, we kind of know that this is going to be a by-committee approach, but the point is, I'm, I'm basically, I have sold all my stock in the idea that Lazard is going to be a really big breakout, you know, 1,512 touchdown guy. That has gone to zero, in my opinion. I don't know that Sammy Watkins isn't Aaron Rodgers' preferred, forget the number one nonsense, preferred wide receiver. Randall Cobb isn't a preferred target in certain situations. And beyond that, we already know Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson are much more physically gifted. So is Ture, by the way. There isn't necessarily the, the mental connection there, but there's just so many guys, and that doesn't even include... Tunyon, who has been praised by Aaron Rodgers as doing a great job in the limited time that he's been back, on top of the heaps of praise he's given to the um, running backs. I mean, just recently, I think yesterday or the day before, talking about 33 out there um, and how special he is. And then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, talking about Dylan and how unbelievably underrated the guy is as, as a pass catcher and everything else, and how he's one of the best in the league and all this. He has heaped praise on just about everybody except Samori Ture and uh, Alan Lazard. Not really necessarily an insight, but um, I thought this was a pretty good quote. I mean, it's like, would you rather get run over by A.J. Dillon or a roundhouse from Chuck Norris? I don't know. Not sure. (laughs) There's no question in my mind Aaron Rodgers loves A.J. Dillon, which is awesome. Because again, I guess there are certain people that Rodgers can really form a bond with that aren't necessarily great football players, but that's kind of the first step. You become a good football player, then you can kind of be graced by my presence, and I don't mean that to sound super douchey, but you know what I mean? It's like we we can't really become anything until you learn to play football. Then we can have conversations, and uh, we'll see if you're cool or not, but um, Dylan is certainly one of the boys, which is hilarious because there's that whole big giant battle going on on Packers and Bears Twitter about... um, Somebody, and I should use his name. I'll give it my best shot here. Soren Sodergren. I guess that wasn't that hard, assuming I got it right. But dude put together a graphic that was basically, <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was saying that A.J. Dillon is, is, is our number two running back and that he's better than the Bears' number one running back in um, Montgomery. But the best part was it was a graphic of A.J. Dillon riding a bike and then a midget Montgomery holding his helmet <laughs> as though he's a little kid. <laughs> Oh, it was pretty glorious. But Bears fans are just furious. And it's again, it's it's easy to troll them because they massively overestimate their own roster. Um, they've they've been having an absolute fit. And and again, it's so easy. There isn't a single metric you can find, aside from cumulative statistics, that says that David Montgomery is a better running back than AJ Dillon. I went to PFF across the board, miles ahead of, of Montgomery. Oh yeah, you PFF. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I went to SIS, said the exact same thing. Well, you can't just find a couple different things. Okay, I went to Football Outsiders. They said the same thing. A.J. Dillon is better than David Montgomery. Oh, really? Who has more touchdowns? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. So, I mean, it's just little things like that that just crush their worldview. And to be honest, what we should do is just leave them alone and let them believe that they have a top 10 everything and then let the season... Let the, let the team itself crush their expectations, because that's when they start to lash out at their own team. Kind of like last year when suddenly they start lashing out at Justin Fields and lashing out at everybody else, and, and Eddie Jackson sucks, get him out of here, and Roquan sucks, and everybody sucks, and they all suck. 
And then, you know, the, the season comes to an end and they find somebody else to blame. And that was the head coach. And then they're like, okay, well, now he's gone. So now everything's fixed. And they're going through this whole cycle all over again. But it's fun to just take little digs and just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, he is pretty good. He's not as good as our number two running back or anything, but uh, he's pretty good. Oh, you don't believe me and you think I'm an idiot? Here's, here's every statistic that exists anywhere ever. Do you have one that would point to uh, me being incorrect about this? And they just assume, and that's the thing, it blows up because they assume it's so stupid. Everybody knows, but they don't actually know. And now that it's blown up and the whole world has seen it, they, re- they come to realize after they've already let the, the animal out of the cage, they actually can't defend it. And they're stunned to figure this out. And they didn't realize that every metric that exists anywhere ever points to A.J. Dillon being a better running back. And they don't know what to do about it. Other than to just sit in their little bubble and go, <laughs> They don't have anything else. You're just stupid. Everybody knows. Watch the tape, idiot. All right, well, I'm happy to have taught you something today. But anyways, A.J. Dillon's great. Another semi-interesting um, quote was just kind of talking about, you know, we, especially because of what happened in the past with the Green Bay Packers, whether it was completely made up or partially made up or whatever the case may be, there, there's just this always this feeling of everything is drama. You know, everyone's walking on eggshells. Jordan hates uh, Aaron, and Aaron hates Jordan, and Aaron hates Goot, and Goot hates Aaron, and, you know, secretly Aaron Rodgers hates Matt LaFleur, and Matt LaFleur hates, you know, these four guys, and his perspective on it is, that's all kind of nonsense. Like, we're, we're all, it's not that we're all best friends, but we're all on the same team, and we root for our team, and there you go. So here's his quote on uh, Jordan Love in particular. You know, and, and it's not when I stand in front of my locker and and speak glowingly about Jordan and the things I'm seeing him doing well in the, in the preseason and in practice. Like I'm not like doing that for some sort of, you know, uh, virtue signaling or whatever. I'm doing that because I love him. I care about him. I want him to do well. When I see him out there doing well, man, it fires me up. When I see him drop back and one hits and throw a f-ing dime, I'm like, yes, homie, yes. Here we go. So again, it's just another perspective thing. The way we view things from the outside as opposed to how it really is. And you could say he's lying, I guess. And I'm, I know there's been animosity at times. But again, I, I think there's a certain segment of the fan base and certainly any NFL media, not necessarily Packers media, but big NFL media loves to drum up the drama narrative. It's the only time they like to talk about the Packers, right? They want to focus on all the fun new teams. And then, you know, the Packers is more or less like, okay, what's Aaron Rodgers doing? How can we pick on Aaron Rodgers? or the drama, or whatever. Otherwise, why are we bothering to talk about the Packers? That's pretty much it. Don't buy into it. But anyways, I think we're officially caught up. We can start kind of digging into other things. We got the roster kind of figured out, I guess. So um, what I would like to start doing moving forward is finding out where everybody else is at, because we're not the only team that finalized our roster on top of lots of teams dealing with injuries and whatnot. So kind of just picking through that, especially the NFC North, because you know we, we knew what they looked like a little bit ago. A lot of things have changed. So that's sort of phase two, looking outward. And then uh, obviously at some point we have to pivot to the Minnesota Vikings on a very in-depth way, which is going to be tough to do because they haven't done anything yet. The 2022 Minnesota Vikings don't really know anything about them yet. We won't really start to be able to gather enough information for quite some time. But anyways, uh, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.